You're listening. No. You're listening to the Buns.com Podcast Network. (laughs) (laughs) Buns, buns, buns. Hello, lovers. Welcome to You Gotta Love It. The show where you tell us and the rest of the world the things that you love that we might have missed. The show where you can come to discover the best things you never knew existed. And the show where you can force us to sit through the worst entertainment you can find. And I'm really using quotes this week and say, you gotta, you gotta love, love it. it. Yeah. Uh, uh, My sorry. name is uh, Koji. I am uh, part-time regretting my choice not to have air conditioning. Well, Me almost, too. Almost full-time. Me, uh, t- me too. And uh, I don't know, full-time rock climbing ambassador. I went from straight-up beginner to just bringing people into the fold. And with me, as always, is my good friend and mural artiste, Andrew Patterson. What's going on? It's uh, toasty. It's you warm. Know, yeah. Just uh, sweating it out. Try getting the toxins out, you know? I do know, yeah. I don't know if I have any toxins left at this point. Uh, I hope I remember the material that we're supposed to speak on because uh, some of it I've blocked out. And some of really? it's so crazy that like I'm not sure if I imagined it or if it actually happened. Yeah, interestingly, the heat and a uh, combination of the heat and me like fighting off something. Mm-hmm. So it has it, the last like week or so has felt like a fever dream. And that movie, the hidden gem for this week, really just plugged into that in a in a very fitting way. Well, so the hidden gem for the week is a movie called Sorry to Bother You. I also I think as as always yeah at this but this early on we should absolutely say full spoiler alert as usual because it will be impossible to talk about this movie without spoilers oh yeah but and you should pause it and see it first yeah a hundred percent pause it right now don't listen to this episode until you have seen it because I think we're on the same page that you should see it yeah yeah I, yeah absolutely yeah yeah and interestingly I think these two movies have something in common which. Given given how you've been speaking about the, you gotta love it for this week. Uh, I'm interested to hear your thoughts when I bring up the similarities. Okay. Uh, so yeah, sorry to bother you, Boots Riley, of the hip hop group, The Coop. Uh, his directorial debut. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's apparently been a long time in the making. Uh, in terms of him having it as an idea uh, and apparently like writing the entire script or something. And like he read the script or, or the script was published in some way, shape or form. I am, my notes are incomplete. I'll be honest. And I can't remember, but I remember reading uh, quite a few interviews uh, with him because I've been highly anticipating this movie since I saw the trailer. Yeah. Would you agree? It's got like the cat, the cast or like, well, that's as it. well. As like, soon as I saw, like, um, Oh my god! Why am I drawing a blank here? The main actor in the movie, right? Lakeith. Yeah. Yeah. Why can't I remember Lakeith? Uh, I don't know. What's his last name? His last name is Stanfield. Lakeith Stanfield. As soon as I saw him, I was like, I'm in because everything that guy do- has done so far. I mean, granted, I don't know how wide his catalog is, but everything I've seen him in so far, I'm like, I'm in. He's a rising star. He's like, if you were to like go by the current issue of GQ, yeah, 
uh, and they will have like a feature where it's like fall fashion with eight up and coming young actors. He's in it for sure. Or maybe that already happened, but that's, that's who we're talking about. If you don't watch Atlanta, uh, my favorite episodes of Atlanta feature him heavily. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Atlanta. He's also, uh, get out. Yeah. He's in get out. Um, what else? He's, he's in more stuff than that, but I mean, those are real, the real marquee. He's really just like adding to his resume (laughs) as being the go-to guy for, I don't know if I've seen a movie or a show that isn't kind of surreal that he's been in, you know? Oh, he was in Death Note. Interesting. Straight out of Compton. Okay. Uh, Selma. He's in Dope. Really? Yeah. How crazy is that? He was in the movie. That is crazy because I love that movie and I don't even, I got to rewatch that movie. Snowden. Um, Anyway, a bunch of stuff. So how, how should we go about this? I think just summing summarizing yeah, what the movie is about. Maybe. Can you can you explain to me yeah. and everybody else what this movie is about? This I need some movie, help here. This movie uh, is largely, I mean, it's set against the backdrop of Oakland, mm-hmm. California, which is where Boots uh, is from, and I think that 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 plays a very uh, strong. It's it's like a character in the film, kind of like throughout, even as crazy as the film is. Um, and it's about a guy, uh, a young black man, uh, who's, you know, I guess down on his luck, he's living in his uncle's garage. Uh, his girlfriend is like a, a an artist slash activist. She does like political, politically charged art. Yeah. He owes um, back rent. He owes back rent and he just really needs a job and he gets a job at a call center, uh, as like a telemarketer selling books. And, uh, that's sort of like the setup. That's how it starts. Um, and the sort of catalyst for the movie is that, uh, you know, he just wants to be good at something. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot at play in this movie. There's a lot of social commentary. The whole thing is like steady social commentary, uh, in a very sort of, uh, darkly comedic way. It's it's also worth noting that up to the point where he gets the job and right before his first day at work, Mm -hmm. the movie is quirky, but it's not like crazy it yeah. kind of feels it has like a bit of a wes anderson vibe or something it's just like oh you know he went to the job interview and he has like he's showing them his like uh you know high school trophies and mm-hmm. some other stuff and it, like so he's like a bit of a off-kilter guy but it's yeah. not like you're just like oh maybe he's just like a kooky character right and then after he's been on the job you know he just wants to be successful he wants to make some money so that he can support himself so he can move out of his uncle's garage so he can help out his family so he can you know, just like basically the the fucking I, like the human condition. You know, right? Uh, he just wants to make ends meet, and uh, he, there's this this old black man, played by Danny Glover, yeah, who sits beside him, and uh, he basically tells him that if he wants to be successful at this job, he needs to use his white voice, and you know, you're kind of like even still at this point, especially if you haven't seen trailers. Uh, which I had seen many of, so I knew this was the case. Yes. He's basically just like, he's like, okay, well, like, thanks for the tip, old man. He's like, no, 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 like, for real. And, like, they have a conversation. He shows him what a white voice sounds like. And I believe it's Steve Buscemi is Danny Glover's voice. I but think so, yeah. they have a but, dubbed voice. But the best part is, at first, he's like, you mean like this? And he kind of, like, pinches his nose. Yeah, and does, like, like, a na- nasally kind of white-sounding voice. Yeah. 
And the guy's like, no, no, no. They can see right through that. Yeah. He's basically like, you need to... Uh, he just speaks to like sort of the entitlement of like not knowing the black experience or not knowing the experience of like, you know, middle to upper class white. Right. Like, you know, that's the voice that you need to put on. Yeah. And so he discovers his white voice, his inner white voice, his voice by David Cross, one of my favorite comedians. And uh, the rest is kind of, it really fucking... I mean, it's already kind of wonky at that point, but it really goes off the rails. And the whole movie is like really just continuously getting crazier and crazier until it hits a point where you think it can't get crazier. And then it gets even crazier than that. And so the whole thing is like he starts becoming very successful and the management of this this uh, telemarketing firm keep telling everybody that if they do well enough, they can become a power caller. And many of the people on this floor think that that's just like a myth that they, they use to just keep their staff sort of like placated and like continuing to, to like slave away at trying to sell these, these book subscriptions or whatever. But he eventually is so successful that he be, becomes a power caller. He gets invited up to the, the upstairs floor where we discover that the company that owns this telemarketing firm actually telemarkets like mass murder genocide slavery Slavery weapons of mass destruction like all of the craziest shit like to governments like they're selling like you know and it's just like i honestly like there's so much almost every scene has layers layers and something to unpack and is like uh even the jokes there's like a hilarious but very dark commentary on something yeah and uh yeah, that basically sums it up. But So he does really well and it kind of changes him. Yeah. Or it's hard to say because... He wants to turn a blind eye, basically. He wait, doesn't want to like really acknowledge what he's doing. You also feel for him because it's the first time that he's actually been good at something. And like he's very clearly good at this. Yeah, and he's able to help out his family. And Yeah, and so it's very, very interesting. But then it goes even further than like black people being voiced by white people and... Oh uh, God! To to like an insane. We should also mention Army Hammers in this movie. Yeah, but uh, he does a great job as the character that he is. It's yeah, nuts. like a Tesla, Bill Gates, it's like an unhinged multi like billionaire who yeah. basically just like is is so wealthy and so driven by power that like he doesn't like things that seem totally normal to him. Yeah. are crazy to everybody else. But he he is genuinely just like no 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 like. Yeah, which is the perfect. He acted that so perfectly in the scene that we're probably about to discuss. Right, but it gets so insane <laughs> to like a degree past what you would think insane was that you're just like, what the fuck? We, but it kind of makes sense. Yeah, Koji and I. It, it that, yeah, that that's what's so funny is Koji and I saw this in theaters in like a pretty full theater. Yeah, and like I feel like that's the type of scene where it could jump the shark. Like, I feel like that's the type of scene, uh, the turning point in this movie where it goes from like 11 to like, f- it skips several numbers and goes to like 42. Yeah. People leave, you know? Like yeah. in, in other movies, like that's like the kind of thing where, but they did such a good job preparing us for that. Right. And like the whole movie is also, we should be noted is, it's like sur- it's like surrealist, like the way it's filmed. Like when he makes a call to somebody, he will like fall into their living room or their kitchen to their dining room table, like his entire desk. And yeah. he'll be like in the scene having a conversation or they're like sitting on the toilet and he like is yeah. like sitting directly across from them, like breathing on them while he talks to them to sell them something. And so it just gets more and more surreal 
to the point where there's some weird stuff where you're almost not sure if it's like part, ima- part of a gag, yeah. yeah, imagined or real. And this all kind of reaches a fever pitch when <clears throat> they discover that he discovers that Army Hammer has come up with this plan to create. A- so okay, <laughs> I mean, I, we're trying to explain it as best we can because this movie is crazy. But so Army Hammer's company, uh, along with other things, is essentially modern day slavery. So yeah, there's commercials throughout the movie for his company where you get free room and board, worry free, free food. Um, like your needs taken care of for life, but you work for them also for life and you never, you can't leave and you never make any money. Um, and so and he's, he's wildly successful because of this company. Like, you know, they're beating China, they're beating uh, everywhere else in the world for manufacturing goods because essentially they don't have to pay their workers mm-hmm. very much. Um, or they don't have to pay their workers, but the cost is just like the living costs of these workers who are like sharing bunk beds, essentially. Yeah. It's like a prison that's yeah. like ju- like thinly. It looks like a prison that they just like added a coat of colorful paint to. Right. And gave them like color colorful sheets. But then he comes up with this idea of like, well, what if we made these workers better than just regular workers? And he decides to crossbreed humans and horses genetically. So but not centaurs, though. No. Like they're the uh, it's like a giant muscular human with like a horse head that's also kind of human. Yeah, well, there's a where's a word for Equ- that? Equa. No, no. Oh, what? Anyway, you you, <laughs> do you, you explain it, and I'll, I'll figure out what it is. Yeah. So I mean, I, I kind of want to start switching gears because we're basically just describing scenes from the movie. But basically, uh, our our protagonist goes to this crazy party at Army Hammer's house and he gets invited down to the basement where he presumes that he's going to be offered some crazy amount of money or promotion. And it turns out that army hammer wants to share this plan where he, Oh, sorry. Before he even gets to share the plan, he's like, I just want to show you this video and then I'm going to make a proposal to you. And, and, uh, Lakeith Stanfield's just like, I really got to piss man. And he's just like, okay, okay, fine. Like go to the washroom it's the jade door and he goes out outside and he's in this weird basement and every single door is like jade green. Yeah. And he goes in a door that looks like a bathroom, but also kind of like a gas chamber. And you're basically thinking like, Oh, this is going to be some dark shit. Well, like you, he's going to have somebody locked in the basement or something, or he's going to like see the extent of the slavery or something. Yeah. But then he sees like a single bathroom stall type thing. And there's like hair at the top of it. Like there's, it looks like there's somebody huge in it. And he's just like, Oh man, just like one stall. And then like, there's this a kind of like, you know, scared voice that's like, Hey man, can you help me? And he's just like, uh, no nah, man, like just whatever, just finish up. I really got to go. And the guy's like, no, like I really need help. And he goes and he opens the door and this like, like not CG, <laughs> like prosthetic no. naked with like a huge dick horse human that's all sweaty and just horrifying looking the way that like, like old 80s horror movies are like it just comes out of nowhere you know something crazy is going to happen but yeah. you don't expect that and there's just like a, a full like 30 seconds of him screaming and this horse person screaming in like agony yeah and he wets himself and he like is running out of the room and he runs into army hammer and this is where in most movies you would expect like army hammer to be like oh you've seen in my plan now I'm going to kill you or do something horrible to you. But he's right. basically like, just like, calm down, just relax. I told you like this door, you went in the wrong door. It's fine. Just come with me. Watch the rest I'll of the video. I'll explain everything. 
watch this video. And so yeah. he sits down and he plays this video that's like claymation that explains the process of turning people into these like horse people so that they're stronger, they don't tire as easily, yeah. you know, less resources, more more production. It's like the capitalist like manifesto basically. Right. And he and that was kind of one of my favorite scenes because Army Hammer like nails that like it sums up so perfectly the sort of concept of these people who are disconnected and are so driven by the need for like more, like right. more power, more production at, at all costs. And yeah. like, because he acts like it's not we like, yeah, he's kind of threatening, but he's not really threatening. Like well, he has a gun at one point, but he has, he has a gun, but, but it doesn't seem like he's, you stop worrying that he's going to use it at one yeah. point because he's like, okay, it's cool. I see that you're scared. It's you're a bit pretty clear that he just wants him to watch the video. And then he thinks like, once you watch the video, like you'll get it. You, yeah. You're just going to understand. You'll understand. And then, and then you'll be cool with it. Yeah. And he's like, I want you to lead these, like whatever, you know, we're, yeah. we're going to turn you into one of them. They need like a Malcolm X or a Martin Luther yeah, King Yeah, or they something. need somebody to lead them so they don't rebel. And then after a couple of years undercover, we'll turn you back. But he doesn't even say we'll turn you back. He's like, we'll give you the super secret serum. Yeah. <laughs> and Lakeith Stanfield is just like, that sounds like you just made that up now. <laughs> right? Which is like, I just another subtle little joke in the yeah, whole thing. It's, it's uh, And so, again, like, I don't think we need to really explain. We can start talking about the meat of the movie. But basically... This isn't even the end of the movie. That's kind of like the climax. And then yeah. shit really fucking gets insane. Yeah. <laughs> so if you didn't listen to our spoiler alert at the beginning and you've listened to this point and you haven't seen this movie, still go see this movie because if what we've described hasn't already convinced you it's something that you've never seen before. Yeah. Like, I don't know what kind of movies you're watching because... Well, so that's what... When that horse scene happened, yeah. I, look, I remember looking over at you and we were just like... Like... <laughs> What? Like, what yeah. is happening right now? And I thought that was going to be near the end of it, too. Oh, yeah. That's uh, true. So, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. The, the thing I, that, like, really drives me about this movie, aside from the social commentary, because it's so on point while the movie's just so crazy, but the entire time, the me- what the message you're trying to get across is clear. Yeah. Like, even the character that you think is, like, the, the Keith Stanfield sort of, like, you know, the angel on his shoulder, the rebellious side or whatever, mm-hmm. telling him like, you know, remember who you are mm-hmm. also like has notes of like being fake, which is mm-hmm. great. Yeah. But never like, it's very rare that you see movies or TV shows, you read books, whatever, some sort of concept where you're just like, I've never seen anything like this, you know? Yeah. I, yeah, I had never seen anything like it for sure. And it's filmed. But how often of, does does that happen? It doesn't happen very it's often. It's so rare. I yeah. mean, after you're an adult, like when you're a kid, everything feels fresh sure. and new. But like then, you know, exciting. But the other thing is that this movie is filmed in like a, uh, a it's a very feels very Michelle Gondry. At in fact, one point at the the video that they're watching in the basement, it says that it says a Michelle Dongry production. Yeah. Uh, so clearly there's like a nod there. Like yeah. it's kind of like poking fun, but like, you know, whether it's the sequence where he's going from like broke ass to rich, where it's done in kind of like move, like a set piece that transforms yeah. versus like, just like simple, like a crossfade or a montage. Right. There's a lot of interesting filming techniques. The music is very wacky. It's like, I think it's tune yards. It's like a tune yard sample maybe, or it sounds like tune yards, right. but I don't know. Uh, there's like, it's just such a fucking trip. Like it's oh, so weird. And the uh, the guy from um, The Walking Dead. 
Glenn from The Walking Dead is in this movie. Oh, yeah, that's true. And uh, Terry Crews is in it. And Mm -hmm. uh, one of my favorite characters was the manager that was like a prison like an ex-con with yeah. like facial tattoos. He's, he's been in some stuff. He is he, he's a that pretty guy. funny. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's definitely one of those that guys. Uh, but, but yeah. Actually, all the characters, even like all the minor characters, like everybody the really nailed it. The girl? Yeah. And they're like in the elevator? Yeah. Oh my God. It's so good. They're so, like every scene is great. Yeah. Uh, and there, there's like, and it still manages to be funny throughout somehow. Even at its darkest moments, I think there's still like a... Yeah. I don't know. Like there's some, there's definitely, I'd say, I mean, aside from the craziness of the overall movie, I really liked, uh, I really liked the part where probably one of my favorite scenes actually, and I think I mentioned this to you when we left, which if you know me, you'd understand why this is my favorite scene in like a second is there's like a group of them all at this bar and it's like a very diverse group. It's like oh, Keith yeah. Stanfield, his girlfriend played by Tessa, Tessa Thompson. Yeah. From, yeah, she's Valkyrie. Yeah. Yeah among other things and uh glenn uh it's like a mix you know there's like uh various shades of black there's like a, an asian guy there's like possibly some other characters there i don't even remember but it's like right. a group of them and they start having kind of a conversation about i think it's tangentially related to if not directly related to this idea of appropriation and ethnic culture and like they're like he's talking about how he makes his what is it uh macaroni or something yeah how he makes his like macaroni or how he cooks his noodles or something cooks his noodles the way that he cooks his noodles is like white like his a black friend is telling lakeith stanfield so the the guy's like no you gotta you gotta boil up the sauce with the noodles in the sauce yeah (laughs) right and he's like no no man i like i make the noodles then i heat the sauce then i put it all together and he's just like that's the whitest shit i ever heard yeah yeah and it's it's like funny but you're also kind of like it resonated with me because I'm very used to those kinds of distinctions and that kind of humor from yeah. like various groups. And, you know, I'm not always like the biggest fan of it, but it, you know, it's just like, it is what it is. And that was funny. But then they continue going on where it's like Tessa Thompson is talking about how spaghetti is, or they're like, are Italian people white? Yeah. And then they start talking about like, like when did Italian people become white? Yeah. And then going before that, where it's like spaghetti isn't even Italian, it's Chinese, Chinese or whatever. Yeah. And they're just like, it's, it's, it's done in such an offhand way that it's not like the focus of the movie or even really that scene. It's more like about a bonding experience. But yeah. what they're talking about, I was like, fuck, there's so much thought put into every page of this script to me where yeah. even the jokes that feel like that would be like the equivalent of like in 40-year-old virgin when they're playing poker and they're all just like kind of, it's just a bunch of one-liners and jokes, like yeah. bathroom humor, sex jokes. It was like that, but each line was like, Something poignant that I was commentary, like, yeah, yeah, and it was just like, yeah, these are like real, tr- like real things that are like good questions to ask and to remind people of. It was, it was great. Well, speaking of questions, yeah. uh, our new segment where we answer a couple questions. There's two of them. I'm just gonna cross off the list right now. Best movie moment, obviously for you, it is that moment that, that you just mentioned. Great. Yeah, for me, it is the moment where. Um, the VIP what? scene that was also hilarious. The VIP. Oh, that's a great scene too. No, but uh, <laughs> when he's when he comes back, when he's watching like, the video, is like oh, yeah. my favorite part. Um, and the the one horse 
claymation lady has got like exposed breasts and they're hairy like, and they're hairy but they're like super yeah. animated and you're just like that is weird and distracting yeah although the vip scene is pretty good too where he goes into a vip at the club it's tiny he's like yeah. spilling his drink and then he comes back and he's just like he's like oh that's dope <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was actually awful um okay why should people watch this movie i feel like we covered that already this is a hard one. I don't know that there's an answer because the movie's so new. Who stars in the reboot? I don't even know. You know, can't. No, don't reboot this movie. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, uh, how much would you pay to see this movie? Is it a movie that you rent, that you buy, that you see in the theaters? Uh, theaters, obviously. Uh, I'd yeah. pay a significant amount of money to see this movie. Yeah. Like if somebody me told me if somebody told me they were rescreening it at TIFF yeah. and and the director was going to be there, gonna be hundred there? bucks. Would you pay hundred bucks? Yeah, easy. Yeah, so would I. Easily. Yeah. Easy. Well, hundred bucks, easy. Yeah, without question. Just I want to hear. Like I don't even know what I would ask if I would ask anything, but I want to hear what people would ask and what the answers would be. Yeah. Like totally. It, there's just a lot of shit going on there. Okay, so so far, well, first of all, how much did this movie cost? And then so far, how much has it made? Uh, it was initially released January 20th, 2018. I assume that's like some sort of film festival release. I want to say... 000. Fuck, I don't know. It's tough. It is very tough. I mean, the more we do this, I think the more of a grasp we'll get on these things, but... I'm going to go with my gut, which could be way off, and there's probably somebody listening that's going to laugh when they hear this, but I'm yeah. going to say $45 million. It costs to make. Yeah. And how much did it make in the theaters? 60 okay well you're not so far off as far as what it costs versus versus what it made but the, those two numbers are, are, are just wildly whole like entirely wrong oh, it, i can't wait to hear what it is it costs 3.2 million dollars to make that's it see okay that that's good though because in my head i just i felt like it would have been disrespectful to really like lowball but in my head i was like it felt so grassroots and yeah. amazing, but even just the cast alone, right. I was thinking You'd like think it would be more expensive. Like yeah. Army Hammer is probably not a cheap get. Yeah, it well, even Lakeith Stan. Like I'm yeah. sure there's lots of people that were just interested in doing the movie, but I feel like all of those people are are rising, and I feel like the cast alone. Mm -hmm. Plus, I'm just learning like in life through work, shit gets expensive, man. Even yeah. a movie that's done like that, like just the montage sequence we talk or the the transition. Claymation or the transition from like poor to rich. Oh yeah, like, there's yeah. a lot of stuff where I was just like, "That's a lot of work." And but work, they, work is where they fucking, stretch it out somehow. Three point oh, two million. Power, it, it power made, those guys. That's uh, fucking amazing. It made just shy of fifteen million dollars so far. Wow! Wow! Yeah. Dome what? Domestic. Fuck. I don't know. It, That's so crazy. It hasn't had any overseas release, so it is a wild success. At this point, right? Costing three million and making fifteen million—that's five times. Right, but return. it's still like that's nuts, man. That's so good. crazy. Yeah. Okay, those two numbers together is like a fucking like rookie post rookie salary in the NBA. Like yeah. if you if you're done your if you're off like rookie your rookie contract, yeah, you could get like a fucking eighteen million dollar offer. <laughs> so maybe LeBron is going to be winning Oscars sometime soon. Uh Okay. Space Jam 2. Yeah. Our next movie, mm. uh, speaking of crazy, is... Can't wait to hear what it cost. The... When was it made? 2000... Two, 2008 film. The oh, 2008 film... 2008. Fuck. Uh, that uh, kind of destroyed a bunch of careers, including Emile Hirsch. Speed Racer. 
based on yeah. based on the uh, you know the old cartoon, the anime, anime. I guess kind of, but but it's not it's really like Hanna, Hanna Barbera done in like a anime style. Anime style. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, the, thought, I totally thought Speed Racer was like a manga. I thought it was based on like a manga. Uh, let's see. Oh, it is Japanese. Yeah. Uh, called Go 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 Hepburn. Uh, Japanese media franchise about automobile racing was originally a book printed in 1966 uh, and became uh, an anime of 52 episodes in 67 and 68 and later rebroadcasted from July 1st to July September 25th in 2008. But uh, I guess that's when we watched it. Uh, anyway, not important. It's an old cartoon about uh, uh, a racer and his friends and his family and their pet monkey. And this was the live action version of that animated movie. By the Wachowskis. Yep. Uh, I'm After watching this, spoiler alert as to my feelings on this movie, I'm surprised they are allowed to make anything. Jupiter Ascending came out after this movie. Yeah. Oh, but like, think about... What was the last hit they had? The Matrix? You know? They do Cloud Atlas? Yeah, that was that was shit also. Yeah, no. I just, <laughs> uh, anyway. No, sorry. No offense. No offense. But like, listen. <laughs> Emil Hirsch. This podcast is called You Gotta Love It, yeah. Koji. Well, I love this cast on paper. Yeah. Emil Hirsch, Sarandon. Christina Ricci, Matthew Fox, Susan Sarandon, John Goodman, uh, Korean pop star Rain. I think he's Korean. Um... And uh, I think that's it as far as... Oh, and then the guy who was friends with the monkey, I, his name is apparently Kick. Kick Gurry, this guy. Yeah. <laughs> he's been in some funny stuff. He's, on, he's in Edge of Tomorrow. Uh, anyway. Yeah, you're right. He is, yeah. Not important, not important. Uh, so, but what what's interesting about this movie is... Uh, so it is about a racer and his family whose brother dies in a horrible accident racing and uh, his older brother and the younger brother kind of picks up the mantle, decides to be a racer and has become one of the world's greatest racers and is now going to be recruited by, again, big franchise. Uh, yeah. It's kind of megacore. Yes. Which is one of the similarities, I think, to our last movie. One of them. Just one. Yeah. But, but yeah. Um, and you. He he says, "I'll take care of your entire life if you sign a contract with me." And he's like, "No, I'll never sell out." Mm-hmm. Essentially, I'm gonna race for my dad and his like mom and pop team or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, things happen. He gets sabotaged, and the, like the story is so wild. I don't even know how to describe it. Like uh, a family comes to him and says, "You know, if we if you help us win, it'll help sabotage the people that fucked you over." Mm-hmm. Um, you know, let get me into the final race, and we'll, we'll 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 tank their stock price because we're a rival company, and our stocks will go up, which means theirs will go down. Mm-hmm. So he enters this very dangerous race in which his brother died racing. Mm-hmm. Um, helps this other family, this rival family, and it turns out at the end of it, it's a double cross. Spoiler alert. Um, but somehow through technicality, Speed Racer is allowed in the final race anyway to race against this original corporation, the double the, the corporation that double-crossed him and a bunch of other people that you've met throughout the movie that don't like him for various reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, to and, prove that real racing 
without cheating and whatever. It, there's a lot of yeah. yeah. Go on, but David, David and Goliath kind of the shit. entire style of the movie is bananas. <laughs> yeah, bananas. It's like I don't. How do you even describe this movie? That's it's how, like Who Framed Roger Rabbit with 3D animation, maybe on, on crack cocaine mixed with like fucking. <laughs> LSD. I, oh, no, did, but, did I mention there's also ninjas? Yeah, but what I was <laughs> what I was gonna say first of all, yeah. Aside from the com- and a real monkey. Yeah, the compa- <laughs> yeah, the, the comparison you made with the uh, corporation, corporation, and the sort of like the man versus or like you know the David and Goliath. We'll talk. Yeah. You know, you know, like the market versus the individual. Yeah. That's what kind of struck me about this movie, is like. To your point, mm-hmm. even if you don't like it, yeah. what else looked like this or sounded like this or was like, you know what I mean? Like it, it oh, is insane what they tried to do. That's one of the things that I have is like, it's like they tried they to stay so went. true to the cartoon. Oh yeah. It's like crazy. Like when you think live action cartoon, even, even the Flintstones as an example, which is like pretty John Goodman also in yeah, pretty true to the cartoon to a certain extent, but yeah. in the end is still kind of a movie. Yeah. Not that this isn't kind of a movie, but it's just like if somebody in this movie, if like somebody was baking pies in another room that you didn't see and like little like smoke, like smell. Yeah. And somebody lifted like, up by their nostrils. Yeah. Wafted into the room and somebody smelt it and then like floated into the other room. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, that's totally what you, what I would expect out of this movie. And that sounds amazing. Yeah. And I don't know if you know this, but this movie has had a huge resurgence. There's a, it might be a Kickstarter or GoFundMe or something to raise enough money to remaster this film for IMAX. So the, I was going to say, did this come out in IMAX? Because so, so they can IMAX release this? Because watching, people dude, love this movie. When I watched it on TV, watch, or when I watched it on your TV, TV, yeah, it just about gave me motion sickness. So seeing it in IMAX, like, okay, here are the things that I'll say that are good. Yeah. And there's actually probably quite a few. The first being, I do have to give my hats off to the fact that they really fucking swung for the fences in terms of like, let's make this unique. Yeah. There's a real presented. monkey. <laughs> that's I I like that. Yeah, it's crazy. So like that kid got a lot of monkey acting experience. Uh two. Yeah. No matter how ridiculous and unrealistic it is, mm-hmm. the racing scenes do capture a sensation of there's an intensity to them. Like the even though the cars seem to be able to just spin 360s unlimited amounts while maintaining their forward momentum right. and people and like they never get scratches but they fucking are constantly so bumping like, each other yeah. it's basically like hot wheels like it's so so over the top it reminded still, me of a, a nintendo slash sega game called rock and roll racing absolutely or like f-zero or yeah. fucking uh burnout, the uh, rock and roll burnout racing had, had weapons though san francisco 2049 yeah san francisco rush 2049 that's what this was like Did yeah but they that? had weapons though yeah, but still. So, so, yeah. yeah, anyway. Fucking wipe out. There's so many. Yeah, but yeah. it it did capture, like, one thing that I really didn't like, how it looked, was, like, the... Uh, there's so much color keying and green screening in this movie that, like, some of the... And so much effects and animation that's so saturated that, like, when they're racing through the desert, for example, and, like... They try to get a parallax effect. Yeah. It ends up looking kind of stop motion-y, but like I didn't like those scenes because they were just like, again, there's too much movement. Like right. they didn't 
that would be my one criticism with the appearance is I think that they they had everything dialed up to 100 and it would have been much more impactful if they actually tried to film some of the movie in like keep the saturation but like in a normal way you know like just have like uh anyway but so that it looks unique it sounds unique it's filmed in a unique way yeah the speed the sensation of speed is good is great yeah and i did like like again it kind of goes hand in hand with the uniqueness but like one thing that i really noticed was the emphasis on color yeah and the costumes and sets that they did create that weren't animated mm-hmm. i thought were great they were a little it was just a little too much but like for example their house like there was bits where i was like this is cool like it's cool that they weren't afraid to use color and they weren't af- like some that would have been an amazing job to be yeah. the person to be like designing susan sarandon's outfits for example like because it's kind of got that 60s feel like everybody's sort of you know like trixie or whatever like christina ricci's characters yeah. like just like the clothes, even the cars, like even though the cars are super futuristic, everything is like kind of softened, yeah. curvy, lots of saturated bright colors and pastels. And I really liked that because it was almost to your point recently talking about we're, we're surrounded by so much good TV right now, but it's all dark. Like right. Everything is like, you know, with the exception of maybe like DC shows on the CW or something like. Right. Even those are dark. Yeah. But I mean. Except they, for maybe The Flash. Yeah, that's sort of what I was thinking of, or like, uh, like Arrow's uh, pretty dark. Yeah, Arrow's dark. Uh, Legends of Tomorrow. Yeah, that's pretty. It's got some lighthearted moments for sure. So anyway, it's it's just not common. So it's t- even though it came out in two thousand eight, mm-hmm. it still feels like it was refreshing, and that was enough to actually kind of hold my attention because yeah. even though it was nauseating, <laughs> like how much it was, it was right. like, you know, some of the tracks like they had fun. They weren't afraid to just be like, you know what, kids will love this. And like we're rebooting Speed Racer, let's like let's not try to make it like a gritty like the movie Rush. Like let's not try to like right. make it a modern like Matrix type adaptation. Let's just fucking keep it like Fruit Loops, like breakfast cereal yeah. insanity. And they they really did that well. I also like the commentary, well. the like social commentary about like corporate yeah. greed. That was pretty good. And, and I will say that we've seen some real stinkers, right? Yeah, we've seen some stinkers that have tried to be good movies with terrible acting, and we've seen movies that are just bad movies with yeah. bad acting. This movie has—I feel like you may disagree. Yeah, but based on probably the script they were given and the setting and right. how extreme they went to try to reproduce it, like reproduce it being true to the cartoon, I don't feel like it was like bad acting like they were like they nailed what they were going for and that was the problem okay that people like that transition to live action is like i will say this i liked and i it's hard so i think the person who had the hardest job in the entire movie was racer x yeah and i say he's like the dark because he's a dark brooding one yeah in a show that is otherwise not that dark and brooding yeah like (laughs) but but when he punched that guy in the face yeah in midair while they were going like 300 miles per hour and they were in midair rolling and he punched <laughs> the guy in the head and then just chuckled about it. So <laughs> that's the movie we're dealing with. So um, I will say that I think that uh, Racer X played by Matthew Fox and Emile Hirsch thought that they were in a different movie than like say John Goodman and Christina Ricci. Mm-hmm. Like John Goodman to uh, like uh, and, and the a monkey lot of eye, and lot the of eyebrow kid. acting like they they 
were as if they were in a cartoon. They acted as if they were in a cartoon. Yeah. Whereas Emil Hirsch and Matthew Fox, and to a certain extent, some of the bad guys, really acted like it was like a serious movie. Yeah. And I think that kind of was a problem. Like some of the bad guys were great. The snake the guy. Char- the characters of the, the bad guys. What that Again, that was another thing that I loved. Like that snake man? I yeah. thought it was... The, that, te- the entire team. Yeah. And the Vikings. Like I like that it captured an old like wacky races or like a... Yeah. Uh, uh, again, like they really fucking took it to such a crazy extreme. And I remember when I was a kid playing video games or watching cartoons, like I loved that aspect, like of rock and roll racing or like mutant league football. Like yeah. I liked that it was like, these guys are the zombies and these guys are the fucking Frankensteins or whatever yeah. it may be. And it's just sort of like, or the cyborgs. And this was like, they were all so crazy. Like the, the, there was like those girls with like the diamonds. And then there's like the, you know, like yeah. the, the sort of thematic, like, Cause I don't know that like that shit would have been like fun to conceptualize and like, Oh, okay. You know, like let's, uh, uh, a, a, a similar example, but done really well yeah. is in, was in Mad Max Fury Road where they briefly showed there's like the bullet farmers and there's right. the fucking, you know, like there's like these different tribes and they, obviously that's a lot darker, but it's the same thing. And they go through that like one area of the Badlands and there's all those like hedgehog cars that have like all the rusty quills and stuff, you know, and right, there's right, like right, the right. people on the dirt bikes. Like it, it kind of was like that. So that, that was cool too. But yeah, I agree that there's a bit of a disconnect. I think yeah. it's really hard. It's really hard to pull something like this off, I think. Uh, and I don't know, like I mostly feel sad about it because it's kind of another example of people like I assume investing a crazy amount of money. There's a lot of like actors that I really like in it. Some of them, it didn't ruin their career. Some of them, obviously Emil Hirsch has been in so many great things, but like it, it kind of, even though it's not like I would not consider it a good movie, it's just feels kind of like a shame, you know, like it's like, it's kind of once again, same thing happened with Jupiter ascending also that by the Wachowskis where it was like, people were like, we're not going to have, original sci-fis if they're not bankable mm-hmm. and there was sort of that movement where it's like see this movie even if you are worried that it's not going to be good yeah because we need to support people that are willing to take risks this crazy and it's yeah. unfortunate that like they're just not hitting the nail on the head for me because like i want them to like i want it to be like I don't even know. I don't know what it's going to take, but well, it's just like we're batting 500 on this on this episode of the podcast so far because the last one was really crazy and they pulled it off. Right? Yeah. Like sorry to bother you pulled it off. Yeah. These guys didn't exactly pull it off. So I mean, as long as we're supporting the good ones, I think we'll be all right. Fair enough. Um so let me ask you here, why should people watch this movie? I guess we kind of talked about that already, which is it, I, it's so crazy and they went for it and Oh, I also, should I should also mention this because my my friend's brother suggested that we watch this movie, and I watched it with my friend Chris. Shout out Chris! Um, and we told his brother like twenty minutes in, like, "Why did you tell us to watch this?" Hi. And his brother was like, "Are you guys high right now?" Yeah. And we we're like, "No." And he's yeah. Like, oh. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. just like I, you've made a horrible mistake. Yeah. That I was literally just about to say I was going to be like, "We here at You Gotta Love It do not condone." the the well not, uh, the use of any illegal substances but not for a couple months anyway if yeah if you're the type of person that likes to maybe indulge a little bit in something that would enhance movie viewing that's what i would i, I don't even know what that's i don't 
that's yeah. not me. You know, that's right. not my, uh, that's not what I'm into. But if you are into it, I imagine, I can only imagine this movie would probably just, yeah, you would be drooling probably at one point. Like, Absolutely. I, it's just so, the, the amount of spinning and 360 and cameras that are moving through fake space yeah but even the just crazy scenery when they're not racing is like oh that's what i mean like the conversation where he's telling him the history of like racing being rigged yeah and it's like there's so many uh michael bay-esque 360 around somebody's face while they're talking and the background is like constantly moving constantly moving but like not at the right speed like it's like offset it's because it's not a real room or something or there's like things happening behind them there's even one scene where a guy's talking from two different angles on the same when he's discussing the double cross with the oh yeah yeah with the uh the other like massive corporation yeah and they're like on one side on the right side of the screen it's like a profile shot of the guy talking yeah and then he he comes in from the other side of the screen in what in any other movie would be like a Team America type hilarious visual gag. Yeah. But in this movie is like not like it's not supposed to be a funny scene. But yeah. It's just like uh, it's like the scene in Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs where uh, where the mayor of of uh, of Swallow Falls or whatever. I can't even remember what it's called uh, is uh, talking to Flint. And he's like, he's explaining how they can like take over, Mm -hmm. like by their powers combined. And he like gets really close to him. Like he's like whispering on one side of the screen and Flint's like looking straight at the screen and he comes in and then he races out and comes in from the other side. He's like, or we could do it this way. But if you actually pause it, he's still on the left side of the screen when he's coming in the right side, the way they animated it. It's just done. So anyway, that shit cracks me up when it's done right. But, uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, who stars in the reboot of this movie if they remake it today? Lakeith Stanfield. Just kidding. Uh, hmm. As Speed Racer? Sure. Who would you recast as Speed Racer if they did it? Alton Emmerich? Okay. And who who's Racer X? I'm trying to think of somebody who's really good at being dark and brooding you know what i'll just fuck fuck, i'll just say johnny depp no just to see (laughs) just to see what that movie would be uh, like i was gonna say uh uh you should just cast both of the guys from fucking uh uh oh why am i drawing such a crazy blank right now i don't know i'm not even sure fucking tv show that you and amanda love Oh, from oh Supernatural. Supernatural. Just cast those guys. Yeah, that'd be incredible. Uh, oh, they should just do an episode because they a love Speed Racer episode. <laughs> yeah, they love doing like crazy parody episodes. Uh, okay, what is the best movie mo- moment? I know what mine is. So there's a moment where uh, John Goodman's youngest son, who is best friends with a monkey, they're secretly watching Speed Racers race, where he's racing um, the race that his brother died. Uh, racing years years ago, and as as uh, John Goodman comes into the to the room, he like switches the channel, and it's like some Spanish show. It's German. Oh, so excuse me, some German show where, um, uh, it, but like it, it, there's also a monkey in it, and the dad's like, "You're you're not watching this. You don't even understand German, or it's in German." Yeah. And he's like, "Not the monkey parts." Yeah. <laughs> Which I thought was great. Well. 
I mean, that's a pretty low bar. Well, it was a funny scene. <laughs> it made yeah, me it's laugh. Fun. It's fun. Fair enough. Uh, I just, I think, um, honestly, like, I, because I wasn't really fully prepared for the extent of how sort of torturous and visu- visually <laughs> nauseating the rest of the movie was going to be, I actually really kind of was into the first racing scene. Where he's like where, racing the ghost of his brother. Racing the ghost of his brother, exactly. Uh, it felt like a video game. It felt like a video game, and because we hadn't been fully exposed to like that dialogue or anything yet, it just yep. was like, oh, cool, this is like a Hot Wheels crisscross crash, like crazy track. There's like loop-de-loops. People are like flying off the track. Right. It just felt kooky and fun and like really intense. And then even the idea that he was like, you know, racing the, the t- he was going to beat this time, but then at the last second lets off the gas so that he has like the second best time by like, you know, fractions, like a, a fractions of a second, uh, out of like respect for, out of respect for his brother. And it's just sort of like, and it shows his family kind of like approving. I was just like, yeah, this is cool. Like, I don't know why. And then basically from there, it was kind of, it's just a little much, you know, that's, that's what it is. It's just like a little too much. I think that, uh, just tone it down, you know? Tone it down just a bit. Okay. So this movie was released in 2008. Mm-hmm. Bring your mind back to 2008. What technology was like? What things might have cost? It's mostly green screen in this movie. Yeah. Um, well, one assumes. I have no idea. Um, you know, they need animal handlers. Mm-hmm. All these things. How much did this movie cost to make? And how much movie did it end up making? What movie? How much money did this movie cost to make? This movie looks... And how much money did it end up making? This movie looks expensive. But not in the way where you like look at like a, you know, like a real, like a tailored suit. And you're like, that looks expensive. In the way where you look at like a... Spinning rims. Yeah. Like like uh, ground effects. Like somebody somebody's put a lot of money into their car. Yeah. But in increments. And in increments to like try, you know, on a car that's not... Yeah, a Civic. Like, some yeah, kind. exactly. Uh, so I'm gonna like go way high. Yeah, I'm gonna say like a hundred and twenty million dollars is what it costs to make. Yeah, and how much <laughs> money did it make? Fucking thirty million dollars. I don't know. I feel like this movie tanked pretty bad in theaters because I don't really remember. I remember it coming out and then yeah. seeing the trailer and being like, "Oh no!" So that would just be an abject failure i mean as it is it's an abject failure but like if it cost 120 million dollars and it only made 30 that 80 million what is it horrible tell me so the budget for the film 120 million dollars whoa fucking high five on the head that's incredible you're getting better at this that's especially after how far off i was the first half of the show uh (laughs) it cost oh sorry and it made 93.9 million dollars wow really yeah Wow, which is a lot of money, but not enough to make that's the cost. That's back. still crazy. Yeah, yeah, it's it, crazy. You know what it is? I mean, I know it's like a different. There's like ten years apart here, but mm-hmm. it's kind of sad. But in all fairness, okay, so this it's kind of crazy because it made domestically forty three million dollars, and uh, the rest of the world fifty million. So, I mean, everyone equally thought it was about the same amount of crap. Okay, but, you know, yeah, but here's the thing: even though it costs that much to make mm-hmm. and market or whatever, that movie made ninety three million dollars. Sorry to bother you, sits at fifteen. Yeah, I get, I mean, I get it. I know different different strokes, but like that's 
It kind of makes you. <laughs> yeah. Fuck, and, that's so crazy. Anyway. No, sorry to bother you. Made 15. Yeah. But cost like. Yeah, I'm just I'm comparing them like outside of the fact they're very different audiences, very different movies. I'm yeah. just saying like that movie has so much to say and I feel like it is like a, a must see basically. But, but the it, problem is like, you know, it was re- it's there was one theater in Toronto playing it essentially. Yeah. No, I know. Yeah, I know. I'm just saying yeah. like it's a shame that movies, films like that can't get more exposure in a way that doesn't yeah. like strip them of their charm and like they're what makes them important films it's just like crazy to think that speed racer almost made a hundred million dollars almost made like it basically made 80 million dollars more honestly i think that sorry to bother you will be one of these movies that like it's a slow slow creep like it's gonna like well more more than that like in a couple years from now like let's say three two three years from now there's gonna be a bunch of kids 20 year olds or whatever eight 19 year olds sitting in a dorm room one of them's gonna be like, "Yo, have I've, you seen Sorry? Have to you guys me? seen Sorry to Bother You?" And everyone there's gonna be like, I, "What is? I've never even heard of this." It's gonna movie. be like the the today the Fight Club of like twenty, yeah, or like Equilibrium or something. Like one of these like pseudo. Well, this in this case not pseudo, but like one of these like intellectual films where like people are like, "No, nah, I don't know." Like I've never heard of this movie, and then they all watch it, and like everyone immediately who's in that room disseminates it to all of their friends. Like guys. Have you fucking seen this movie? Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be on some Alamo Draft House shit. There's gonna be some Mondo posters, you know. Yeah, so it's gonna be some like crazy like uh, they're gonna screen that shit at uh, they'll definitely screen it at TIFF in the future. Oh my god, should I, should, I think you should cosplay? We should go to uh, Fan Expo and you should cosplay Naked as kangaroo people, Lakeith Stanfield, uh, in this movie with just like the head bandage and the the bloody wound and stuff. Okay. And I'll well, I can't really cosplay as the Asian dude. That doesn't doesn't really work. He doesn't. It's not descriptive. Just bring a sign and swing it around from that one part where he swings the sign around. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, what are your suggestions for the week? Oh, that caught me off guard. Okay, I, well, I'll go first then. Okay, we were kind of talking about this off mic beforehand, and uh, shout out to our producer Elise who uh, suggested that I watch this and she was dead right, uh, is a Vice documentary series called Hate Thy Neighbor. Uh, it is about a half-black uh, English comedian who uh, goes and really involves himself with different hate groups around the world and interviews them and like really gets in there and not in like a, a confrontational way, He's just trying to understand where they're coming from. And it's interspersed with bits of his stand-up that are about his experience while filming this. So, like, he'll be relating to an audience or relating to an audience, like, what you're about to see. Like, and he's he's going to be like, and I just walked in there and this guy with a big old fucking uh, swastika shirt comes up and talks to me and he, like, he'll tell a funny story about what happened to him. And then you actually see you know the reality of it and you're like holy shit uh the guy's name is jamali maddox and uh i've only seen a handful of episodes but just to get an idea the first episode he uh interviews some white supremacists goes to a swastika burning uh and talks to the leader of some extreme right hate groups or 
they don't see themselves as hate groups, but groups. Right. Uh, in the second episode, he uh, interviews a bunch of uh, people known as the Black Israelites. Okay. And yeah. they self-describe themselves as black supremacists. Yeah. Uh, there's an episode where he goes to the West Bank and and interviews some um, Israelis mm-hmm. who believe that Israel should be separate from not only Palestinians, but essentially the rest of the world. Like Jews should only marry Jews and everyone else can fuck off essentially. But in a slightly more, I don't know, friendly way than that like they don't express themselves that way yeah and then the other one was uh he goes to um not crimea but um ukraine the ukraine and uh after crimea post crimea and uh interviews this like militia that were formed in response to russia's attempted takeover they actually helped stop russia from getting any further this this group and Mm -hmm. it's actually a militia made up of soccer hooligans that's wild who have uh who have now become like a standing army who help the actual army and are actually larger than the country's army and but are also linked to uh far-right sort of hate uh and it kind of stems from it. It's hard because, especially that episode, it's a little bit like you kind of sympathize with them because they're like, "We're you, you, Ukraine's for Ukraine," mm-hmm. you know, and like we just want to keep Ukraine Ukrainian. And you kind of understand where the initial sort of fire for that came from because they're they're very much legitimately protecting themselves from being encroached on by another country. Mm-hmm. But then it stems out into a whole bunch of other stuff, like guys have swastika tattoos and all this other stuff, but they also treat Jamali like they're, yeah, he's just one of them, which is so bizarre. You know, it sounds very compelling. Like it oh. sounds crazy. It is like so crazy. crazy. Anyway, uh, that's my suggestion. I might've already out. recommended this. Yeah. I've got a suggestion. It's a book mm-hmm. that I'm just about finished right now. Is it good night moon? No, it's called sapiens. I think you did. I don't I'm know. Recommend it you again. recommended it to care. me. Yeah, it's so good. Uh, it's a book written by a uh, Israeli historian, mm-hmm. Yuval Noah Harari. Uh, he's written, in addition to this book, there's another book that he wrote after called Homo Deus. So Sapiens is basically a condensed version of the history of human beings going back to the cognitive revolution or what he describes as a cognitive revolution. So like pre-agricultural revolution, basically when like man, as we know it today, wiped out all of the other species of human. Right. So homo sapiens killed off or whatever happened, homo erectus, homo neanderthalus, all of the other, all of the other species and became like the one species. And it goes all the way up to like today. Then he has another book that, it's called Homo Deus, which is like today going into the far future and about sort of technology and AI, singularity, all that. And then right. he has a third book coming out in September called 21 Lessons for the 21st Century, which is about the present. But this book is like Cosmo. If you're into Cosmos, it's like that, but like more about um, more focused on like culture. Yeah. So to speak, uh, than it is like science. Sure. 
but in a similar way there's like tongue-in-cheek bits uh and it has just been blowing my mind it's great like it's like you know there's lots of it's just so fascinating like there's stuff in it that you might remember from like high school history or if you're a history buff there are things you might know but like the way that he presents all of this information going all the way back yeah. so far in such a digestible way with like humor but yeah. like a step back like the thing that strikes me about it is that like he'll describe something that is amazing that happened you know 1500 years ago you're like, wow, this is so incredible. And you'll be reading many, many pages about just like, just being like, wow, what, like, what must these people have been like to have accomplished something like this? And then the next couple pages will be all of the horrible things that resulted from this incredible thing or vice versa. And the whole thing just kind of comes across as like, in my opinion, uh, with one notable exception, a lot of it is sort of like, you know, he kind of takes a like, who's to say, Yeah. you know, like, um, whether this is good or bad, you know, it may seem obviously bad, but if it didn't happen, then the following things wouldn't have happened. And not even just like present day, like right. it's like back, the, back in the points in history he's talking about, he's like, it just makes you think about it, which I think is like the important thing, you know, mm-hmm. the important thing isn't necessarily to be like, well, this is just objectively bad. It's to understand that thing that like, it's not that easy. Right. There's context. Yeah. Which is why I love it. And, uh, I think the one exception is that I've noticed that, uh, he is vegan and there are parts in the book that when he's talking about the agricultural revolution, and then when he's talking about sort of the rise of capitalism and mass manufacture and all that kind of stuff, industrial revolution, mm-hmm. Uh, that bit of that comes shows through, which yeah. is which is fine and totally like you know I, it doesn't. I'm not like ah fucking vegans or something, you know. Mm-hmm. Like I'm just like he like they're all good points. They're all like real, real things. But that seems to be the only area where I think he lets a little bit of uh, understandably there a little bit more emotion come through rather than presenting just presenting like facts, yeah. which is what the rest of the book kind of feels like. And right. so anyway, it's a great book. Yuval Noah Harari, Sapiens. Or Homo Deus. I haven't started it yet, but I cannot wait to. And uh, I would also suggest that if you're the type of person that doesn't read nonfiction, this is kind of a good starting point, potentially. You know? Like, it feels like a... The way it's written, it's just, like, very accessible. And it's, like, a... It's a large book, but it's not dense. And, like, you can... You know? I don't know. It's just, like... uh, Yeah, I think it would be, like, a good, good... if you're interested in switching lanes, you know, maybe you're tired of reading fantasy or sci-fi or fiction or mysteries or whatever you're into, yeah. you want to switch it up, definitely check this out. There's a lot of valuable lessons for today. All right, guys. Well, that's the episode. Uh, check back next week for some more material. I'm not sure what it's going to be yet. But, uh, yeah, keep loving it.